Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show. As we're always talking about the decentralized revolution, we're talking about deglobalization. We're talking about the way the world is breaking apart. And of course, we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this show now for about two years, hitting these topics, talking about this deglobalization. And of course, I use um, history as our guide. I use cycles of history as our guide. And it's a lot of times I get people asking me like, Mark, you keep saying this is going to happen. When is it going to happen? And I say, well, it is happening. It's a process and we're going through it. But never have we seen it more pressing and more real than what we're seeing right now. And I say that um, with uh, knowing that the last couple of years have been crazy. Uh, I mean, really things really started taking off with, uh, you know, the, the pandemic, obviously, um, this authoritarian push caused this outlash. And that was just sort of this cause and effect. And we had this authoritarian push around the world to lock everything down and control everything, which then caused lots of things to happen. But I want to just pause for a second. 
um, and let you know what we're gonna talk about today. <laughs> so we're talking about today how the world is continuing to break apart, specifically with the wars happening in the Middle East. And I wanna break down, I've, I've been sort of somewhat silent on this uh, because, well, uh, as I, I did talk about it in a YouTube video, but I've been somewhat silent about this because, oh, it's so hard to know what is going on. Um, you can easily counter either side. You can blame either side. You can counter the counter of the counter of either side. Um, you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I didn't feel that one, I knew where the truth was. And two, I didn't feel like I had anything very constructive to say. Uh, but now that it's been going on for a while, I've been <laughs> digging into it way more than I maybe should or need to. Um, and I have some more stuff today. And I want to come and I want to talk about this, this new world war that's about to begin. Um, and I'm going to use history as our guide. So we're going to talk about what's going on in the Middle East, but we're going to go through it from a historical perspective. So we could try to understand where we're at today from a let's say a neutral lens, and then think about how this fits into the glo the greater global conflict that we're seeing. And again, back into this deglobalization or decentralization that we're talking about. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, like I said, things really seem to take off during the pandemic, but really it actually started happening before that. So in December of 2019, there were 10 countries in the world with over 1 million people each in the streets protesting. Okay, so a lot of this pushback, um, this this us against them, the people versus the government seems to have started during this pandemic, like I said, when this authoritarian regime really started to kind of put the pressure on governments around the world. But really, like I said, it actually in December 2019, 10 countries had a million people each protesting. So it's been going on for a while. And it's because of this pendulum that swings back and forth I've been talking about. Um, now, how does this fit into this greater context? Well, now we have this authoritarian push. Um, people, and really, it was sort of this uh, this last grasp of power that these states want to have. Um, and and you know, per Klaus Schwab's own words, and not just his own words, his own book. Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum. If you're listening to this show, um, I'm sure you know that by now. Um, but he wrote a book called The Great Reset. That's what he called it. It's his book. Go read it. Um, and he said that we should take advantage of this opportunity to reimagine, to reset the world, to build it new. And of course, they certainly tried to do that. Um, and since then, um, we've just seen this continue to escalate. Things really started to escalate in Canada uh, when, when the truckers started to protest against that. Things really started to escalate with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Of course, now we still have the China-Taiwan situation. We're going to talk about that later. Um, and now in the Middle East, things are breaking apart. Um, but like I said, I wanted to kind of go back through history so you can have a better understanding of what is going on there and where we're going. And again, I like to use history because it gives us better context of what's going on. And right now, what I would like to see personally is peace. I think most people would like to see peace. Now, there's certainly people on both sides that want to kill each other. There's certainly that. But I think the majority of people in the world just want peace. The question is, how do we get there? And so that's what we're going to take a look at. We first have to understand that in order to get peace, and this is just uh, conflict resolution 101, in order to get peace, both sides have to be able to put themselves in other people's shoes. Both sides have to be willing to see both sides of the conflict. And unfortunately, that's something that mainstream media just doesn't seem to want to facilitate. 
Uh, mainstream media doesn't want to facilitate it. I think there's members in both sides of the government or all the governments that don't want to facilitate this for any number of reasons that we can go into. Uh, but in order to get to peace, that has to happen. You know, if I'm in a if I, if I'm in a conflict with a relationship with my wife or with a friend. I have to be willing to stop and put myself into their shoes. I have to be willing to have empathy and think about where they're coming from. They have to be willing to do the same. We both have to be willing to make concessions and we both have to be willing to sort of let go of the past or we'll never be able to move forward. That's just how it works. This is not rocket science here. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is how it works. And so in order to have peace, that's what's going to have to happen. Um, but for all of the armchair pundits that are getting triggered by uh, what they're seeing at college campuses or whatever news channel you're watching or people jumping to conclusions and especially um, social media. Now, um, I'm certainly going to make a case. I was going to do an, another episode um, today. Uh, we'll come back with this probably next week on how a lot of this war is actually pushing forward this authoritarian, authoritarian agenda, which is censorship of speech. Okay, so we know that the end goal is total control over our money over our energy, over our food, and that as we get further and further along, there's more pushback to that. And so as the powers that be continue to lose their narrative, uh, because of the internet has given us this freedom of speech and social media and stuff, the only way they can continue to hold on to that power is through censoring our ability to, well, just censoring, uh, censoring our ability to have free speech, and which is then censoring our ability to think, um, because now we don't have ideas and also censoring our money. So I want to do a whole show on that. We'll come back to that next week. Um, let me know in the comments if you actually want me to do that because it's a big, big, big lift and I haven't fully committed yet if I want to do that. So let me know. Hit me up on social media. Let me know if you want me to do how this war is really being used to push in more censorship and not just in uh, the Middle East. As a matter of fact, just today at the time of this recording, I saw a news article that came out that in Ukraine, they're moving to get rid of all the Orthodox uh, Christian churches there, censoring people's religious freedom in Ukraine. So that's really what war is about. It's about censoring. Um, it's happened in the United States as well. We've had laws against uh, free speech in the United States as well. Um, so that's certainly something that's happening. Um, but what I did, <laughs> I went down that rabbit hole. The reason why I went down that rabbit hole is because social media, as much as I do not want to censor it, I want to continue to have free speech. It, it, uh, because of the short nature of what we see on social media, we're able to quickly take things out of context. And we're able to quickly jump onto one side of a narrative or another. Um, and without the context, we can't make good informed decisions. Right. And so again, I'm not for censoring it. But um, mainstream media, the governments, the mainstream media, uh, people on both sides, and just the use of uh, social media, this short form content um, leads to this. And so I want to help stop that. And so let me bring context to what this is, so you can understand. Now, if we look at the Russia Ukraine situation for a while, I mean, there's both, there's two sides of that. They say uh, there's three sides to every story, right? There's like uh, their side, my side, and then there's something in the middle. And so, of course, Russia and Ukraine both have their own sides to that. And now we can see Israel has, and Israel and Palestine have their sides, right? And each side want to blame the other rather than viewing the events from the current historical lens that we're talking about. But I don't want you to fall into that same trap. So we're going to help you understand what this 
global historical lens is. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show, I'm going to run through this historical context so we can see what's happening in this new war, war that's shaping up. You don't want to miss it. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the new war that's broken out in the Middle East and how this fits in to the global uh, wars that we're having, the deglobalization. And really, I want to run you through the the context of what's going on. Now, like I said, there's multiple sides to each story. And so just like in Russia and Ukraine, each side seems to be fighting for their lives, maybe. In Israel, you know, they're fighting this existential threat, um, but so are the Palestinians. Um, but really to understand this, we have to go back. We have to understand that there's a very long history of conflict in the region. And as a matter of fact, we can go back very far, and I'm going to do that. But I want to start with a little bit more recent times, because this is where most people pick up the story. And we can see that there's been this long-standing conflict between Israel and Palestine, which really began with the declaration of Israel as an independent nation state in 1948. So you're going to hear that Israel went and took the land from the Palestinians, which they kind of did, but that's not actually what happened. Um, 
Now, what happened is thousands of Jews did immigrate to Palestine in the 1920s and the 1930s. When that happened, it did result in lots of violent clashes with the local Arab population that was there. Now, at the time, though, they weren't really taking it from the Palestinians because at the time, the British Empire had control. The British Empire was, was occupying it, and they were attempting to try to limit, um, limit the amount of Jewish immigration that was coming. And so as they were trying to keep the Jews out, the British, who had control, it made the Jews mad, as you might understand. And at the same time, the British state was trying to support for a Jewish homeland, um, but that enraged the Arabs. So the British had control, and obviously, no matter which side they made concessions to, the other side was going to be angry about it. As this was happening, then World War II broke out. During World War II, an estimated about 6 million Jews were murdered in Nazi concentration camps. And so after the war, the Jews started flooding out of Europe and started flooding into Palestine. And then, you know, they viewed this as their homeland, which it had been. We're going to go back through that history. And then by 1947, the British realized the situation had become unsustainable. All right, so this is sort of where we're at today. And so the Palestinians are like, hey, this is our land. Uh, how would you feel if they came, over, came and took your land? Of course, nobody would like that, right? We could look at this objectionably. Nobody would like that. But again, uh, it was actually British land at the time. The British uh, had ruled it. But I want to go back further, and then we're going to pick up this story. So let's go back a little bit further, because as a matter of fact, this part of land right there is like the oldest land in the world that we know about. Obviously, all the land in the world is the same age, but this is the part of the world that we know about. It's very well documented. As a matter of fact, we know about 1600 before Christ, BC. So that's, uh, you know, 3,600 years ago or more, we have documentation of that land and what was going on there. So in 1600 BC, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, um, went and settled in the land of Israel. All right. So he was a Jew and he was in the land of Israel and that was his land over 3,000 years ago. What happened is um, there was massive famine in the land and the people, the Jews living in Israel, went to Egypt to get grain. And they ended up moving to Egypt. So there was massive famine. It went for seven years. Um, if you know your Bible stories, you know this, but it's documented throughout secular history as well. Um, and so the Jews left Israel and they went to Egypt to get the food, to get the grain. Then this goes into the second book of the Bible, Exodus, which is uh, Bob Marley <laughs> made a song about, Exodus, movement of the people. And in 1200 BC, the people, the Jews left Egypt and they went back to Israel. All right. And so now we see 1200, 1100 BC, the tribes of Israel go back, they settle in the land of Israel. So the, the, the Jews lived in Israel, they left, they went to Egypt, they came back to Israel. Then in 1000 BC, the kingdom of Israel is established. King Saul is the very first king that's there. 1000 BC, Jerusalem becomes the capital of the kingdom of Israel under now King David. 960 BC, the first temple is built by, in Jerusalem by King Solomon. 722 to 720 BC, the kingdom of Israel that's located in the northern land of Israel is conquered. So now the Jews that have been there for now, um, you know, a thousand years, almost 800 years, they're now conquered by Assyria. And so now the, the tribes of, of, uh, of Israel go into exile. 
Now five, so uh, the Jews were there, they left, they came back, they got conquered, now they're there by Assyria. So the, all of history is a story of one tribe taking over another tribe. Since the very beginning of time, we've had tribes and they battle over scarce resources <laughs> and they fight over land and they fight over food and one tribe takes over another and one village takes over another and one kingdom takes over another and all of history is a story of this. So, you know, here in the United States or in Canada, you hear about the indigenous people and their land was taken, but that is, that is factually correct, but they took it from someone else before them and they took it from someone else before them and they took it from someone else before them. And so how far do you go back? So we can go back, certainly as this story started to the 1940s, when the Jews took it from the Palestinians, where I should say the British gave it to the Jews. However, that was just the last time. So we're going all the way back to the beginning of recorded history, 1600 BC, and the Jews were there. Okay, so now let's keep going. So they were exiled. The Assyrians now took it. So now the Jews don't have it anymore. Now Assyria has it. 586 BC, the kingdom of Judah, it, the Jews, is now conquered by Babylon. Jerusalem and the temple are completely demolished, laid to waste, and the Jews are exiled. So now they're taken out of their own land. They're now exiled to Babylon. Now, some of the Jews remained, but most of them were taken away. There's a story of the remnant, the few that were there. So they never, the Jews never totally left the land. There was always some that remained, like I said, the, the, um, the remnant. So now 586, they were, con they were conquered um, and they were exiled to Babylon. Uh, 538 to 515 BC, they return. They return, the Jews return from Babylon and they rebuild the temple. 332 BC, now the land of Israel is conquered by Alexander the Great. You've probably heard about him. So again, they left, they came back, uh, they set up their kingdom again, and now they're taken over again, Alexander the Great. Now we go 160 BC, the Hasmon revolt against the Greek empire in reaction to the constraints imposed on the Jewish religious practice. Um, so now there's this revolt. Now the Greeks are fighting over the land. Um, 129 to 63 BC, um, the Jews establish independence again. You see how this just is a cycle. It just repeats over and over. Now, 63 BC, King Herod from Rome now rules the land in Israel. Now the temple is expanded, becomes a, a, a beautiful temple. Uh, but in 66 BC, the Jews rebel against the Romans. Now, because now the Romans control Israel. So the Jews rebel against that. Um, and then 70, uh, now this is 80. So this is now 70 after Christ. The destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple is built. In 73, the Romans battle to conquer it and the Romans take over. They change the name of Judea to Syria, Palestina, and the name of Jerusalem to Elia, Capitolonia and Jews are forbidden to settle in the land of Israel. So this is 136 AD now. So again, the Jews are forbidden from being in the land of Israel, which they've been in on and off since 1600 BC. All right. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, I'm giving you historical context so we can have a better understanding of what is going on in the world today. I got a whole lot more to cover when I come back. You don't want to miss it, so don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about, as always, the decentralization of the world. Uh, But we're going back to this historical context so we can understand what's going on in the Middle East. Um, And... uh, I'm taking you through a, a long history. We went back all the way to 1600 BC. And if you're just tuning in now, we're at 600 AD. All right. So, uh, well, 136 AD, the Romans took control of Israel um, and forbid the Jews from being in the land. So 136 AD. Now we fast forward to, so the Romans have control. Now we fast forward to 600 AD and the Persians invade. And the Persians take control and uh, the Arabs um, conquest in 638 AD. So now the Arabs have control of the land. 638, the liberation of Jerusalem from a combined force of Persians and Jews. So so the Arabs now have control of that land. Um, But then in 1099 to 1291, now the Crusaders come in and now they take over the land. And then um, in 1517, the Ottoman Empire comes over and takes over land, and they rule. Then in uh, in uh, 1863, so 300 years later, 330 years later, the Jewish majority comes back into Jerusalem and renew the land. Are you starting to get the story here? 1901, the establishment of the Jewish National Fund, an organization for purchasing land for Jewish settlement of the land of Israel, comes into place. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of history that goes uh, on through here. It starts happening pretty quickly here. Um, in 1916, it's called the Sykes-Picot Agreement, and it was between France and Britain. And they delineated the two powers 
um, for this Middle Eastern area of rule in the Ottoman Empire. And uh, this was right around the time, uh, right when the World War, for the First World War had ended. So now we have France and Britain having control, taking over power that used to be under the Ottoman Empire. Um, and then in 1917, a document signed by British Foreign Minister Lord Arthur James Balfour espoused a national home for the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Um, as we keep going, uh, 1920, the San Remo Agreement gave Britain rule over the land of Israel after the fall of the Ottoman Empire and ratified the creation of the national home for the Jewish people in the land of Israel under the aegis of the British power. So again, now the British have power, they have control over the land, um, and now they're giving it back to the Jewish people who have been in and out of there since 1600 B.C., um, of course, the Arabs um, don't like this. They've been all around this. Um, and so there's riots start happening. All of this starts happening. Um, and now we're sort of caught back up into modern time. All right. So this has been a hotly contested piece of land. It's the oldest piece of land in the world that we have documentation for. And the Jews settled in the land in 1600 BC and have been in and out of that land <laughs> ever since, for over 3,000 years. And here we are back up to 1947, when um, after World War II, the British, having control, gave it back to the Israelites, to, 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 the, Israel, to, to, to the Jews, I guess. All right, now this was also created by the United Nations. And so what the United Nations decided to do, because this, this situation was unsustainable, um, even though the British had control, gave it back to the Jews, the Arabs that were there, the Palestinians still didn't like it. And so there was this ongoing war. And so the United Nations stepped in to devise a plan. And they said, let's just split the land. Here's what we'll do. Let's just split it. Remember, both sides have concessions. They split the land into two sections and the Jews celebrated and the Arabs rebelled. That was May 14th, 1948. And the day the British, that was the day the British troops withdrew from Palestine and the state of Israel was declared. And of course, then violence broke out. So as soon as the British troops left, then violence happened. Um, the Muslim countries of Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt all attacked the newly formed state and secured Arab territory within it. And in the remaining Israeli territory, thousands of Palestinians were driven out by Israeli forces. So this is where they are driven out of their home, which, of course, they're not going to be happy about. No one's ever happy about this. This is not a good situation to be in. And I'm just going to say, since I didn't say it in the beginning, um, I don't advocate for any violence. I think I started out by saying I want peace. I think most people in the world want peace. Like, can't we all just get along? <laughs> Was that Rodney King? Um, why, you know, you, you hear about like these, you know, Miss America contestants and like, if I could get anything, I just want world peace. Like, why can't we just get along? Unfortunately, we have human nature and some people are just bad and some people want um, more power control. There's lots of problems. There's ideological problems. This is mostly religious wars. So you have two very distinct ideologies and there's obviously lots of sex within that. Um, but at this point, now this land has been given back um, and there's and there's wars going out. Now, it starts to go tit for tat here, all right? So we basically see that um, all these territories now attack Israel and Israel moves in and they drive the Palestinians out. All right. And this is what forms the basis of, a, of the base of the conflict that's brewing today. The Palestinians were forcefully removed from their homes. They were, and they've never forgot it. 
Now, the situation further escalated in 1967 when Israel seized additional territory from Jordan and Syria. So that happened. That was a, uh, according to a documentary, that was a war in which the Arab nations clearly were about to attack Israel. Israel had, as it were, both a legal and moral right to strike first as they did strike first. Well, that's their story. You and I don't know that know the answer. We don't know the truth here. All right. As a result of Israel's preemptive strike, the Gaza Strip, initially part of Egypt, came under control of Israel now. 1973, 50 years ago, to this attack that just happened, um, there was a surprise attack on Yom Kippur. Um, and after years of ongoing struggle, Egypt and Israel finally met to negotiate peace in 1978. So again, peace was struck out. It was called the Camp David Accords of 1978, and it returned the Sinai Peninsula to Egypt while Israel kept East Jerusalem in the West Bank, um, the Golan Heights in Syria, and the Gaza Strip. Israel also acquired more than 1 million Palestinian Arabs who lived in Israeli-occupied territories. It's a, it's, it's a mess over there. Then we have the rise of Hamas. The Accords did nothing to soothe, soothe old differences, however, and for decades afterwards, Israeli forces and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, carried on hostilities. Peace talks were renewed in the early 1990s in Oslo, Norway, resulting in a two-state solution. <sighs> so now we start getting into Hamas. Um, we start um, thinking about the Palestinians. They wanted to be guaranteed an independent state. Um, and so then the Palestinians were able to elect their own government with the territories of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, Jerusalem was meant to be a free city there. But of course, surprise, surprise, things didn't work out as planned there either. In 2000, violent clashes between the two communities resumed. In 2006, Palestinians elected members of a hardline Islamist group um, called Hamas. The reigning party, Fatah, ended up with just 45 seats. And so Hamas got 74 seats and won. The problem that we're in now, now that we're caught up here, and hopefully you appreciate that this was a pretty neutral stance. This is just history. It's just fact. It is what it is. Um, the problem is now, so Hamas got the majority of the seats. They have the power. They have the control. And in Hamas's founding charter, it included a commitment to the total destruction of the Israeli state which is, of course, a direct violation of the Oslo Peace Accords. So um, that's sort of where we're at right now. Now, um, we can argue either side. Of course, they want to completely destroy them. They ran them out of their home. If you got ran out of your home, wouldn't you want to go destroy that person as well? Um, but how far do we go back? That's the question. The question is, how far do we go back? And really, the question is, how do we move forward with peace from here? I think that's even the much bigger question. Because we can see that as of right now, if one side vows to kill the other, unless they get out of their land, the other side, will, the side says, we're not going to get out of our land and we'll kill you. How do we have some resolution there? Well, it's going to be very difficult. And if you want to find out what I have to say about that, then don't go away. I got to take a very quick break. If you just tune in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, and we went through the historical account for 3,000 years of what led up to this uh, Middle East war that's about to break out or is breaking out. Uh, I'm going to come back with more in a minute. Don't go away. Be right back. All right. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're running through uh, the historical context that led us to the point that we're at in the Middle East between um, Israel and Palestine, and not just those two, actually, the entire Arab world. So we went through from over 3,000 years of history, uh, going back to 1600 BC, when Abraham, uh, the Jew, first settled in the land of Israel. Uh, all the accounts of how they've been uh, taken over and moved back and taken over and moved back and all these things, all the way to where we're at in current times. So, you know, this is a big issue and there's no good answer for this. In the United States, you know, we have this, uh, I already kind of mentioned sort of in the United States and Canada, sort of this push towards uh, recognizing these indigenous people. And again, I'm not advocating for any type of violence. I don't like, I want, I want peace like anybody else. But who has the claim? You know, under the last peace accord after World War II, the, the deal was is that nobody was supposed to sort of infringe on other people's lands. Um, but of course, that continues to happen. I don't have all the answers here. The answers are that we need to put ourselves in each other's shoes. We have to be able to make concessions. We have to be able to forgive and we have to be able to move forward. But how do we do that in the light of violence happening around us? That's the bigger question. Um, and then on top of that, how do we do that at a time when the people running the world seem to be wanting the war to happen? Why would they want that to happen? Well, if you remember, uh, the last president that was assassinated, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated after he made a speech talking about the intelligence community and uh, the problems that they had caused and how he would splinter them into a thousand pieces. That's what he said. 
And then he was killed for that. The president before him, Eisenhower, as he was leaving office, he made a speech. Typically, after you're done with office or you're on your deathbed, you start to get very honest. And he said that the greatest threat that this nation had was the military-industrial complex. And we don't have to just go back to Eisenhower. We can go all the way back to the founding of the United States when our founding fathers told us that the greatest risk our kids, that, that us as, as modern-day people and as Americans would face, would be a country that has standing armies. It's always been the military being the greatest threat. And the reason why the military industrial complex is such a threat is because if you have a business, the goal of your business is to grow your business. It's to make more money. But when you're in the business of war, that means you need more war. Business isn't very good if there's no war. And so we always need this opponent. We always need this boogeyman out there in order for us to continue to invest into new weapons and new arms and things like that. We can see how, you know, in the, well, really after, since World War II, um, but really into the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we had this cold war between America and Russia. And this led the military industrial complex to continue to spend lots and lots, billions of dollars on new technologies and continue to build up the um, the military and, and things like that. But finally, in uh, late 80s and early 90s, then the USSR finally collapsed. Communism uh, took its toll. Uh, the USSR collapsed. And all of a sudden, now, the US didn't have this big boogeyman. They didn't have this big army or this country to fear. But what happens with the industrial uh, military industrial complex when they don't have this big enemy out there anymore? Well, they need a new enemy. And so shortly thereafter, all of a sudden, the enemy became terrorism. We had the Twin Towers that went down, and all of a sudden, we had to go bomb the Middle East, and now we had to go after terrorists. Now, the, 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 the beauty of fighting terrorism for the, since the, for the military-industrial complex is that now we don't just have a country that we know where they're at and we can defeat them. No, no. Now we have this nameless, faceless enemy who's everywhere and nowhere, and there's never a way to defeat them, ever. So we have endless wars that can go on forever, and it's an ever-growing threat that always has to be managed. And of course, we can always stoke up a few more along the way. And so now we have this world, in my opinion, that's really, and, and in my opinion, it's always been the same, which is what, what we really have in this world has always been corporatism. Corporatism being corporations and governments working together, and they used to call that fascism. Now, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum wants to call that public-private partnerships. Um, in the U.S., sometimes we call it crony capitalism or cronyism. Whatever you want to call it, it's, it's the same thing. It's businesses working in their own interest with the government to continue to build their businesses. That's what it's always been. And so this, this military-industrial complex wants to continue to stoke more wars. But then we also have other things, such as through the Middle East, we have massive amounts of energy. So we have oil pipelines. We have gas pipelines. And so there's lots of interest. As a matter of fact, if you look back through most of what happened through the Gulf Wars after 9-11, a lot of it seemed to be going over there to protect the interests of some of these rich people or multinational companies, if you want to call it that. Securing rights to the energy, securing oil pipelines, 
and things like that. It's always been about the money. And so because of that, it makes it very difficult for us to understand what's going on. It's the fog of war is what we call it. And so while on one hand, it seems so simple, the other hand, it's like, how do we know this isn't some fake false flag? For example, in Israel, Netanyahu, the prime minister there, has been under attack. Um, you know, uh, the people in Israel are not happy with the government. Um, they they became one of the most authoritarian nations in the world during the COVID pandemic, um, and there's been so much pushback. And the country is starting to reject the leadership or the or the political leadership that's there. So, hmm. Well, let's see, if they uh, start a proxy war, or I should say a false flag war, if they start a war with uh, Palestine, does that create this sense of nationalism? Does that reignite the people to come together for the good of their Israel country um, and then sort of get the blame off of Netanyahu? Well, I mean, I guess that's possible. That could be something. Uh, or could it be something bigger? Could it be something about the energy? Could it be that we are trying to stoke a war in the Middle East so that we could limit the supply of energy in the Middle East so we could get them out of their position of power? We know that OPEC Plus is trying to kind of set the price of energy and oil. The U.S. doesn't like that. Could we try to limit the entire area so that the U.S. interest of oil and natural gas could prevail? There's certainly a call for that. Um, we can look at what's happening in Ukraine as sort of the same way. And so it's very difficult to say. And so that's why, um, as I said, sort of in the beginning when I first started out, I don't know. I've spent thousands of hours um, studying this and talking about this and having discussions about this and reading back through history and trying to understand this the best I can. But the fog of war is so thick that we won't ever know. Now, like I said, what I think should be the answer is peace, right? And I think that should be the number one goal in everybody's mind is how can we de-escalate this situation? How can we treat each other with, um, with respect? How can we try to understand both sides? How can we come to a place where we understand that both sides have been wronged here? This is not a good situation. There is no returning things back. Sometimes things are just bad. Sometimes we just have to deal with what we have and we have to try to move forward. And that's exactly where we're at. Um, and so that's my point. I wanted to make sure that I put that out on public record. I stand for peace. I'm not for pro any of this. I'm for pro people. I'm for pro humanity. I'm for love. I'm for loving each other. I'm for treating each other with tolerance. Um, and that's how I'd like to move forward. I am against the ever-growing state. I'm against the uh, warmongering neocon state apparatus of the military industrial complex. And I hope that more people could see that the real battle isn't between the people, but between the governments. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. We've been talking about the way the world is breaking apart from a very long historical lens of what's going on in the Middle East. Hopefully this brings some context to you. Let me know what you think. Hit me up in the comments, hit me up on social media. And that's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.